what just happened? <laughs> oh, how cool is that? Well, I'm so glad to be here. Uh, I'm Casey Tiger, one of the pastors here, if you don't know me. Oh, well, thank you. It gets residual for the band. That was awesome. We have a great, we have a great staff here. Uh, I don't know if you know that or not. We have a great staff. I just want to tell a story on some of our staff. I think you'll appreciate this, maybe. Um, so we had a staff lunch one time, and um, somebody brought a vegetable tray, and, and nobody ate the broccoli because, well, you know. And so there's all this broccoli left on this tray. Now, I don't know if you know this, but over time, broccoli goes bad, like starts hanging out with the wrong crowd, gets some stuff pierced, starts to commit petty felonies, you know, stuff like that. And uh, so this broccoli just started to turn, and the smell was unbelievable. So one of our teams, very sacrificial team, I'm not going to mention their name, student ministries, took the tray, <clears throat> and they did something beautiful with it. They, um, they hid it in my office. <laughs> it gets better. They set up a video camera across the hallway pointing into my office to pick up the reaction when the smell finally got to me because they hit it really well. I didn't know it was in there. And I'm like, is that, is that me? What is that? And slowly but surely begin to consume the office. And I swear it took like two days just to get the bad broccoli smell out of there. And there's video of it, which I'm not going to show you uh, because it's just embarrassing. But the topic we're going to talk about today about losing your faith operates in much the same way. It's not something that happens overnight. It slowly but surely creeps in, and we don't know where it comes from, and we don't know where to find it or how to root it out or how to get rid of it, but it slowly but surely creeps in, and once it's there, it's very hard to get rid of. Because faith is one of those things that's critical to us being alive. All of us live with faith in something. You have faith that you're going to get up in the morning, stick your key in the ignition, turn it, and your car will start. Some people have been proven wrong on that. You have faith that you're going to go to your job, and your job is still going to be there. You have faith that your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend is going to be faithful to you. We all live by faith. So what I'm saying here is that when faith gets destroyed or broken, it's not just about our religious stuff. It's about our life. When we lose our faith, we begin to lose our life. Because here's how the Bible defines faith. It says, faith is confidence in things we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is the way we all live as human beings. We all live this way. We all are confident in things that we hope for and assured of things we don't see. Now, I, I know in this room there are some of you who have lost your faith. You've either lost it because of tragedy, because of chronic illness, because of pain. Maybe you've lost it because of the church, a pastor or a priest or a Christian, caused you to say, if that's what God's people look like, I need me some new people. Maybe you've lost it because you began exploring the concept of God and just couldn't prove it in your brain. I wanted to say, first of all, you're welcome here if that's you. We welcome people who have questions and doubts. It's good that you're here. What I want to do today is just change the conversation about this idea of losing our faith. And I want to start by using the concept of story. All of us live by some kind of script. All of us live by some kind of story. And it really begins when we're kids. We get this story about what life is supposed to look like, and there are three pieces to it. There's the me piece, there is the life piece, and there is the world piece. You learn that there's a me, there's a person that I need to take care of and look out for, I need to treat well, I need to keep healthy. 
Then there is a life piece, which is a you got to go out, do things, establish relationships, get a job, do all of these things that make your life what it is. And then there's a world piece that says there's a world out there around you that for the most part can be really good, sometimes can be really tricky. So that's what we get either as kids or early, up, early in our growing up stages, and we try and live by that. And then we get some real life in our system, and we realize... Eventually, the story changes for us. We realize we are capable of great bad, of great evil. We realize that we will make mistakes. And then we begin to hear influences that speak to us. It says we're not good enough or smart enough or talented enough or wealthy enough or whatever enough for the world. And so then we begin to adopt the script that we are broken. We are broken. Then we begin to look at life, and life, we get into some interactions with people, we get into some relationships, we get into a job, and what we begin to realize is that life is really filled with a great deal of pain. And so the story we begin to hear from our script is that life is all about pain, and there's nothing you can really do about it. And then the third piece, the world, we see this, and we, we grow up thinking, well, there's a lot of possibility, and then we watch the news. And then we get interacting with some people. We get interacting with other people's stories, and what we begin to believe is that the script for the world is mostly evil. You cannot live by this script. No human being can live by this script. To live by this script is to watch our faith erode, and if we watch our faith erode, then our life begins to fall apart at the same time. I want to take you into a story that Jesus tells, that is told of the life of Jesus, and hopefully this will help us understand this. If you're a Bible person, you can turn to Mark chapter 9. If not, I'll have them up on the screen. Jesus and his disciples have just had this amazing mountaintop experience, this great spiritual experience. And they're coming back down. It's Jesus, James, and John, and they're coming back down to the rest of the disciples. And what they see when they get there is like a giant shouting match between the disciples and this other group called the teachers of the law. Here's what it says. They saw a great crowd around them, the other disciples, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Jesus says, what are you arguing with them about? Jesus knows that you can't leave the disciples alone for very long before they get into something they shouldn't. And so he's like, what is going on? He's trying to like get to the, you know, parents, this is what we do. What's going on here? Who hit who? Come on, out with it. And somebody answers from the crowd, and this is what they say. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus' response is interesting. He says, You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, we kind of hear that, and we hear Jesus going, oh, you guys. But I kind of imagine him doing like the parent thing, like the head tilt. Aw, you unbelieving generation, come on. How long are we going to do this? Are we going to do this again? But the interesting thing to me is that the disciples are not fighting with the dad. They're fighting with the teachers of the law. And you wonder, what are they fighting about? What they're fighting about is an old story that's been told that is in existence in the time of Jesus that says, if this boy is possessed, he is cursed. And if he's cursed, he's outside of God's desires or designs. He's marginalized. He's not worthy of God's blessing because obviously this bad thing has happened to him. This boy's been told this story. You're broken. And this dad has been told this story. 
Your son's broken. There's nothing that can be done for him. This is the story he's been given. You might as well just figure out how to work with it. So the disciples and the teachers of the law are fighting over, should this kid be healed at all? Or is this just what God desires? This is just what life is. In this moment, we get the very first point about losing our faith. To lose our faith is to lose the story. Not the story we've been told here, but the real story. To lose our faith is to lose the story. What script is this kid and his dad living by? They're living by the script that says you're not worth it. You're not even worth it for God's people, the disciples and the teachers of the law, to take the time to figure out whether or not you should be healed. And so many people have lost their faith because they've been told that story, whether it's by a friend or a pastor or a priest or a teacher or or someone else in their community. They've been told this story that you're not worth the effort. How do I explain this? Here's the best way I can explain it. Do you know the show American Pickers? Anybody know that show? It's amazing to me. This just amazes me, right? So these two guys travel all over the country, digging through people's barns and their basements, and they're looking for items, and they go through all this junk, and they pull something out, and it's like an old dilapidated like gumball machine. They're like, I could sell this for $8,000. And I'm sitting at home going, what? Like, what's in my basement? Like, I'm going down there, man. I'm like, we're going to find something here. But my question always was, how do someone have something that's worth that much money just chilling underneath a bunch of junk in their basement? Well, the difference is they don't know the story. These two guys that run American Pickers, they can tell you the origin. They can tell you where it was made, how many of them were made, and why it has the value it has. See, what has happened to most of us is we've been told a story that has caused us to shelve ourselves and hide ourselves away because we don't know that we're worth it. And so Jesus changes the script in one phrase in this story when he says, bring the boy to me. Stop playing around. Stop telling this stupid version of this story. Let me tell you the real story. Jesus flips the script, and this is what he says. You are not broken. You are beloved. In one act, Jesus takes this kid who before had been cursed and left aside and says, bring the boy to me. Stop fooling with this old story. It doesn't exist. It is not real. The Bible itself is 40% story. 40% story. And that doesn't mean it's not true. It just means it deals with people and places and things in conflict with each other. The The most irrational thing about the Bible is that it's full of people. Like if I were God and I was going to write a story about myself, I'd leave people out because they're complicated and messy. But not only that, it's not only that there are people in this story, it's that God actually seems like he likes them. Sometimes it seems like he's downright crazy about them, and they're not the best of the best. They are extortionists and liars, they are political schemers, they're rapists, they're murderers, and God calls them beloved. He makes promises to them that are just amazing. Now listen, if these guys can be loved by God, I think you and I have a shot. Because most of us aren't that destroyed. The story that is told in the scriptures is that there are people who have been told this story their entire life. And God is changing that. Listen to some of the promises that are made. The psalmist says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He's talking about God making him beautiful. And I love this because I got a chance to preach at a girls' school in Kenya. And it's an amazing thing. Like, we go in this school, and there are all these little girls, and, and uh, they learn their English from Westerners like me, but they still have the, a little bit of an African accent. So the first phrase they, they learned was, how are you? 
And so they come up to you and they say, how are you? How are you? And that's, they just keep saying that because they love saying it and practicing it. But in this school, they asked me to preach one Sunday morning, and um, I'm just I'm racking my brain. Like, what do I say? First of all, I'm a dude, in case that was in question. Um, I'm a guy, and these are all like African girls and things like that. And, and so what do I say to them? And then I began thinking about it. Most of the girls in this school have been sexually abused before the age of six by a parent or a family member or someone in their community. The story they've been told is that this is all you are good for. And so I came back to this passage in the Psalms and I said to these girls, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The story you've been told that your only worth is your body is wrong. It is the wrong story. You are beloved. You are created beautifully, fearfully, detailedly. God spent his time crafting you into something amazing. So that's one promise. The second promise we hear is from Deuteronomy. It says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This is a promise. You will never be alone. Beloved people are never alone. God is always with us. And then it says this in 1 John. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is an open invite to join God's family, to be loved on like one of his very own kids, because that is what we are. They did studies on kids who came from orphanages. And what they found was that children who came from orphanages where there weren't enough staff to touch them or to cradle them or to hold them had a higher percentage chance of developing physical, emotional, or psychological disabilities later in their life. Why is that? Because deep in the story of even their body, in their flesh, they have been told this story that says, you are not worth holding or singing to or caring for. From the very beginning, they have been told this story and they begin to fall apart. If we lose the story that we are the beloved, we will lose our faith. And if we lose our faith, our life will begin to crumble as well. So what does it look like to be the beloved? Well, it's very interesting. When Jesus arrives on the scene, he gets baptized. And this is what God says of Jesus when he gets baptized. It says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That idea of loved in this is the Greek word agapao. It's, if you play Scrabble, that's a winner. Just solid winner. <laughs> Go with that one. But, you know, you hear that and you're like, oh, that's fine for Jesus. Like, he's beloved, but Jesus has got a lot of good things going for him. I don't necessarily have all that going for me. But listen later on in the Bible. Paul is addressing people like you and me, and he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and agapao, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If we are dearly loved, if we are the agapao of God, what that means is whatever is true of Jesus is true for us. We are his child. We are blessed. Of us, God is well pleased. That is a totally different script than what we've been told, than what we've been given. And if that is true, what is possible for us? If it's possible for us to move our script from being broken to being beloved, what is possible in our lives? What can we do that we could not do before now, some of you might be saying, well, that's very, like, high spiritual stuff. This, that's not concrete. It doesn't matter to my life. Let me, let me talk about one thing here. In the scriptures, it teaches this. Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God? Now, Paul learned this from Jesus because Jesus said, the Spirit 
who you know is with you and in you. God does not just love us enough to call us beloved. He loves us enough to actually come and dwell within us. See, sometimes we want to drag the spiritual out of our body because we don't like our bodies. So let me speak for a second to those of you who have body image, who have self-hatred, who don't think that you're beautiful enough or, or that you are attractive enough. Cosmo is not your story. Men's fitness is not your story. The Kardashians are not your story. That's not who you're supposed to be. You are one whom the creator of the universe would love to come in and dwell in. Your body is a temple where God would love to come and rest. And you need the story of your body being redeemed in order to make sense of things. There's this priest in the 19th century. His name was John of Kronstadt. I always wanted to be like Casey of something, you know, like Casey of Tinley Park. Um, John of Kronstadt was a priest in the 19th century when alcoholism was rampant. And none of the other priests would go out and actually deal with the drunk men and women in the gutters, but John would. And he would go out and he would get down with them and he would actually cradle their bodies and bring them up to his face. And he would whisper in their ear, this is below your dignity. You were made to house the fullness of God. Like, that's the truth of Scripture. You are beloved to the point where God actually wants to come and to dwell within you. You are not a vacation destination for God. He is buying property. He's building a house. He's forwarding his mail. He wants to come and dwell in you because you are beloved. If we lose that, we lose our faith. If we lose track, see, I I talk to people who lose their faith and they say, well, I just don't believe in God. I wonder if that's really the case. Or maybe it's just we get to the place where it's not that we don't believe in God, it's just we can't stomach the fact that God believes in us. That he may actually have this concept that we are the beloved. If we lose our story, we lose our faith. But the place I also see people going is that if we get lost in the pain, we lose our faith. So Jesus gets this boy, and this boy is brought to him. So they brought him, the boy, and when the spirit in him saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, and he rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You can hear it, right, in this dad's voice. Like, this has been reality for his whole life. Like, this is just where we are. And it's almost like he brings the boy to Jesus, and this seizure happens. He's like, see, this is how it's always been. Like, I don't know anything different. I am lost in this story that all of life is just about pain. So listen, if you can just back the pity bus up for us, just throw, throw down like half a blessing, or maybe a quarter, I mean, a quarter of a blessing at this point would be better than where we are. Could you do something for us? Like, some of us know that feeling. We know the feeling of being so lost in the pain of our life that we really can't see anything else outside of it. And that's where this dad is. And I love Jesus' response, and I want to clarify it just for a second, because Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for those who believe. And so we imagine, again, Jesus like the finger-wagging guy, like, what, you don't believe in me? Oh, see, your faith is not enough, and you're not going to be healed That's just a bad story. What Jesus is saying is, listen, I understand you've been here for so long. You've been wrapped in this for so long. You don't even believe this is possible. But listen, if I can, of course I can. Everything's possible for those who believe. Jesus is writing a new story that says pain is not the reality we have to live with. What Jesus is saying, there is a way through pain. 
The new script says there is a way through pain. And Jesus knows this, and he knows it really well because his life would map it. Later on at the end of the scriptures, right near the end of Jesus' life, he tells his disciples, he says, a time is coming and in fact has already come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me alone, but yet I'm not alone for my Father is with me. And I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say, because you know me, you got like this exemption, like you get the sideways pass out of pain. He says, listen, I'm going to be alone. You're going to be abandoning me. It's cool. God is with me. But listen, you're going to have trouble. It is going to come. This is not a maybe. This is an absolute. Now, that's not something we put in a Hallmark card. In this world, you will have trouble. Ah. Um, This is something that we all have to entertain. Like, pain is part of it. But we can't get lost in it because what Jesus is saying is, take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome pain. We are going through this together. You will never be alone. You can't avoid pain. Victory does not come in being taken out of it. Victory comes in going through pain and coming out the other side well and whole and healed. That's what victory looks like. But I do have to give you permission to do something. This does not mean it's we don't get to whine through the pain. See, because we kind of hear that, we're like, well, if I whine about what's going on, then I'm losing my faith. Listen, if that's the case, then all the guys in the Bible lost their faith. Especially David, one of the psalmists. He writes this psalm in Psalm 22. He says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? It's okay to gripe about pain, because it's pain. Believing we're going through it doesn't change how it feels. So much so that Jesus, at the end of his life, when he's on the cross, he says and echoes and quotes this same psalm. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus feels that way, he can identify with the dad who brings his son to him. If Jesus feels that way, he can identify with you, whatever kind of pain you're going through today. Because it is about going through it. I have some friends, good friends of ours, good friends of Parkview's, who their daughter has been in the hospital since the first week of January. She was out for almost three weeks in a medically induced coma to try to deal with an infection in her body. And she's now finally coming out of it, still in the hospital. She's finally coming out of this uh, state. She's starting to get her functions back. She's starting to be able to talk again, and she can write notes. She can't talk a lot, but she can write notes. So one day she wrote her mom this note that said, Mom, I would say a bad word right now if I could. And she said, well, I, I think this is a bad word kind of situation. So you know what? If, if that's what you want to do, you go ahead and do it. And so with all the voice she could muster, she says, this is S. <laughs> sometimes we have to realize that even though we're going through pain with faith, sometimes it's S. Sometimes it is, and we just need to own that. Faith does not mean denying the power of pain. It just means knowing that this is not going to last forever. Whatever it is that we're going through will pass. And we'll find something else there, too, that Paul tells us about in Romans. He says not only that, not only will we go through it, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And our hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's not rejoicing because we get to suffer. Please understand. It's not like, I love suffering. Woo! 
I get a Facebook fan page for my suffering. It's not about that. It's that how do we respond to our sufferings in the middle? Maybe we gripe about it. But even in our griping, we hold on to the fact that this is not the end. Jesus has overcome the world, and I'm going through this. I'm not living here. I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. If we lose our faith, if we lose our story, we lose our faith. If we get lost in the pain, we lose our faith. And there's one more thing. If we lose perspective, we lose our faith. If we lose perspective. Uh, here's, the, here's the thing that happens. The dad now is sitting here and Jesus has said, anything's possible if you believe. Listen to his response. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now I love this because, like, how does this work exactly? I believe, but I, how, how did, well, it's, it's, uh, it's us most of the time. Like, we're 50% faithful 30% of the time. And the other part of that time, we're really trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Because this guy is saying, listen, I brought him to you. I am desperate. I've been lost in the pain. We've been told the story that we're outcasts. We're marginalized. This is where we've been our entire lives. So I don't know if you can do anything. I have this kernel, this very tiny little crumb of faith. And there's a whole lot of questions I have. There's a whole lot of stuff. I just need to see that there's a different story to be told. And the great thing that Jesus does is he does tell a different story. He says, the world is not all evil. There is also a presence. We change our script to say the world is not evil. There is a presence in the world that changes things. Jesus in his story says one word 123 times, and that word is kingdom. And for Jesus, the kingdom is the places where even in the midst of great evil, we can't deny that, even in the midst of great evil, there are pinpricks of light bursting through into the everyday world. There are things that show us that God is present even though it seems like God is absent. It's so important to Jesus, it's one of the first things he says in his ministry. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That word come near means it has, is accessible. You can have access to it. Now I grew up in the south, so I gotta re- explain the word repent and when I grew up, actually sounded like this. It was repent, like it was 16 syllables, you know? And it was drawn out. And repent has baggage, so I just want to explain it for a second. Repent does not mean banging your head on the floor until you're sorry for what you've done. Repent means to change your thinking. To think about the way you see the world. Most of us have been given this script so long, we don't know how to tell any different story. What Jesus is saying is the kingdom is near. It is present. It is breaking through in ways that you can't possibly understand. So we need to begin to look for those things. And I think mostly, listen, let me talk to church people for a second. Church people need this more than anything else in the world. We need to look around and see God in people being fed, God in people being rescued from sex trafficking, God in the places where the homeless are being clothed and being given jobs, God in the places where people's soul brokenness is being healed and put back together. We in the church need this a lot because I believe you can lose your faith because of church. Because we get so wrapped up for looking in, God in, for, in looking for God in here that we miss looking for God out there. And so listen, if you're here long enough, we're going to disappoint you. Your pastors, your church will let you down. Your pastors and your church are not God. We're part of that 40% of the story that is 
50% faithful 30% of the time. Listen, we're going to let you down. Don't let your faith rest on us. Begin to look for God in the places where he is, which is here, but it's out there as well. God is constantly present. He's been blatantly shouting at us from every thrush and every turning bush and every snowfall and everything that we see outside of this place. Now listen, I know some of you this makes you a little nervous. Like, are we worshiping nature? Have you been like binge watching Oprah? What's going on here? Let me, let me tell you what Jesus does with this whole story. He's teaching about not being anxious. And listen to what he says. Don't worry about your life. Sounds like a good idea. And then he says, look at the birds of the air. God feeds them and takes care of them. See how the flowers of the field grow. They are clothed and they are beautiful. And he says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little what? Faith. He says, if you get anxious, if you lose track of me, if you think that I am not in control and everything is spinning into this evil cycle, then look at the birds. Look at the grass of the field. Look at the stuff that's all around you. And remember, if I care for that, I got you. I got you. We're good here. The writer Anne Lamott, who is really edgy, but I love some of the stuff that she says. This is what she says when she's asked about, is there a God? She posted this on her Facebook page. She said, is there a God or no God? Who on earth knows? Any proof either way? None, except for Bach, foxes, forgiveness, elephants, bulbs, and my dog Lily. May she rest in peace. Also, the fact that someone like me could have 28 years without alcohol or the non-habit-forming marijuana I smoked on a daily basis for 15 years. Also, ripe peaches, books, and Mr. Rogers. Listen to what she says after that. She says, there is infinite good and beauty and heroism and artistic genius everywhere we look. Why is that? It's because the kingdom of God is breaking in everywhere. That's a different story. We can get mired in the pain, we can lose our story as the beloved, and we can forget the fact that God is present. And it's not perfect, I get that. Like, there is evil, there is darkness out there, but God is breaking through in ways we can't imagine, so we've got to go looking for him. We've got to go praying to see him. We've got to see him in the smile of a child, in a perfectly struck iron shot, whatever that might be, I don't know what that is. We look for him in like a great sunny day. Whenever those come back, that'll be great. We look at him in a day where we have to ourselves to read a good book, to eat a great meal. We taste his presence in Cabernet Sauvignon. Can I get a witness? In good bread, in good conversation, in laughing with people until your gut hurts and you're crying uncontrollably. The presence of God, the kingdom of God is breaking through. If we lose that, we lose our faith. And if we lose our faith in that, we begin to lose our life in a slow leak. It's an amazing thing that happens. I want to tell you this morning, more than anything else, that God wants to rewrite your story. And here's what it looks like. You are created beautifully in the image of God with his grace and his goodness and his glory. No matter what story you've been told, this does not have to dominate who you are. God has called you beloved before you ever knew you needed it, before you ever got your act together. Scripture says, while you guys were still sinners, I died for you. Like, I claimed you before you ever decided that you needed me. 
story that he's told about pain is that I've overcome the world. So this crisis, this chaos you're going through, this clinical health issue, this relational chaos, this job chaos that you're going through that is causing you to wonder if there is a God anyway, it's tough. And sometimes it's S. And sometimes you just need to grunt through it, but you will come through it if you follow me through this. There is a presence breaking through into the world. Our story can be one where we live as if God's kingdom is breaking through in every single moment. And if you look for it, in the faces of friends, in the forests, in the churches, in the conversations, you will find him because scripture says he's not far from any of us. That is the story that God wants to tell with your life. So I don't know where you fall in this today, but I want to do a little bit of an exercise with us if we can. We're going to prepare for communion now. And I want to walk us through just a little, it's not going to get, well, it might get weird. I I hate promising that, but I doubt it'll get weird. So just trust me on this. Uh, Would you just for a second with me uh, bow your heads where you are and close your eyes. What I want us to do is walk back into this story. Walk back into this story of Jesus, his disciples, the teachers of the law, this dad and this son. Imagine yourself in that place with those people. Maybe, maybe you're the dad. Maybe you've got this script that your son is never going to get any better. And that there's nowhere through this, we just live in the middle of it. And that you can't see the presence of God anywhere. I mean, where would you? Maybe you're a mom in that same spot. It does, gender doesn't matter there. Maybe you're the son. Maybe you've been told your whole life that you're not blank enough, whatever enough, to have value and worth. Maybe you've never been cradled, never been called beloved. Maybe you've been told you're marginalized and this pain you have, it's just, must be what God wants for you. It's the kind of person he is. Maybe you're so blinded by your own situation you can't see this presence. If you're in either of those character spaces, will you just, in your mind, imagine, just look at the face of Jesus. Now, I know some of you might be more on the side of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the disciples who can't do anything for this kid. You're quibbling over the, the little dots of the law. And you've gotten to the point now where your, your life with God is more about following rules than it is about faith. So much so that you really don't need God. You've got the rules Maybe that's where you are. If that's one of the groups that you're in today, would you just look at the face of Jesus? And what I want to ask you is, as you're looking at him, begin to listen. And what I want you to listen for is this. What does Jesus have to say to you in those places in the story today? 
What is the word he wants to tell you? What is the thing that he wants to change about your script, about your story today? Let's just take a moment in this quiet and just listen for the words of God to us. Father, I want to thank you because I know you had a word for my friends in this room tonight, today. To some of them, you were calling them the beloved for the first time. And they are still having a hard time believing it. But would you write that on their hearts? Would you help them to write it on a piece of paper and take it with them? Some of them got to hear that you are not too far, too broken, too messed up to be the beloved. Someone in this room got to hear a word that says, this pain is horrible, but we're going through it together. Some of the people in this room got to hear it's not about who's in and who's out. It's about who we are and finding the presence of God in everything that we see. Father, I thank you for that. I I pray for the people in this room who are clinging on to a kernel of faith. They don't have much of it left, God, but there's a little bit. I pray that this, this new story would rekindle the fire for them and that their faith would begin to grow slowly but surely as they begin to see themselves as the beloved and believe in you for that. As they go through pain and as they find your kingdom breaking through at every moment their lives. And in doing that, Father, will you rescue their life and bring them to life? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.